0: If you've got a Bible, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, who we'll was studying that passage this morning. Uh, and I want to take a minute to sort of transition to the sermon just by thanking you all for your partnership in our ministry. Um, uh, RUF's relationship to the church is, is interesting, uh, to the local church, interesting in the sense that I am not actually on staff of the church. I'm, on, uh, I'm called by the presbytery to come here and partner with you all in ministry to the students of Oklahoma State University. So I'm a peer of Ryan. I'm a peer of the elders. I'm your peer in many ways. Um, I'm not a member of the church, which is also interesting and odd, but also in some ways helpful. Um, but we're, we're really, um, I see you guys as a family as friends, as partners in ministry, Uh, and I just want to thank you guys for that. You guys are a true blessing to us. You're a blessing to Chris and Claire. Chris's family was here with him, I guess it was at the end of spring break whenever Chris preached, Uh, and after they left, his family said, Chris, that church really loves you well. Um, So thank you guys for loving him well and for loving our families well um, as we live here and as we minister together. So this morning we're going to talk about... Uh, Doing ministry and what a successful ministry looks like. Uh, We certainly can't do any successful ministry without the Holy Spirit. So let's pray that the Holy Spirit would guide us even now. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, your son, our savior, redeemer, and friend. Um, We are so thankful for the ministry that you've given us to each other, to the students at Oklahoma State, and to the city of Stillwater. We pray that as we come together and we consider uh, what it looks like to uh, succeed in ministry or to carry out a successful ministry, that your Holy Spirit would do two things. That it would encourage us in the gospel and that it would equip us to share the gospel and to love others well. We can't do this in our own strength, in our own power, in our own wisdom, Um, Father, unless you build it, we build in vain. So we pray that you would build right now. We pray that you would build us up and that you would help us to build up each other and to build up this world for your glory and for our good. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So the title of this sermon is Success is Dying. Uh, And I want to start out by just posing a simple question to us. What is successful ministry? What does it look like to have a successful ministry? Uh, This is a question that pastors think about all the time and talk about all the time. I was a part of a cohort of campus ministers this semester that read a book called Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome. Uh, We read this passage and a few other ones, and we spent the semester just talking about what it looked like to have a successful ministry, and encouraging each other uh, because, in case you didn't know, pastors struggle with worshiping numbers in the ministry or, worship, or uh, being a slave to our feelings. But we're not the only ones. I think anybody who has tried to do some ministry in the church or in the community or at home has asked this question, what, is, what does success look like? All right? Uh, If you've ever uh, done group ministry, like helped with VBS or organized a service project, taught a Sunday school class, or hosted a community group, then maybe you judged success based on numbers. How many people showed up? Um, If you've done uh, individual ministry, like invited someone to church, shared your testimony, uh, shared the gospel with someone, then you probably based your success or you could have based your success on their response. A friend of mine, not long ago, Cher and I were out with a couple and, and the, the, the wife and the couple, she shared that she had shared her testimony at her MOPs class recently. MOPs is mothers of preschoolers. She's in charge of getting a speaker to come in and speak to the group. She couldn't find a speaker so she thought, I'll share my testimony. But she worked really hard all week preparing her testimony. She got up, She shared her testimony, and afterwards, people came up to her, and they said, you are so brave. Thank you for doing that. And she said, you know, that wasn't really the response I was looking for. It's kind of like getting a participation trophy. Like, good try. You know? If you've ever done the ordinary day-to-day ministry of loving your spouse, loving your kids, loving your coworkers, trying to glorify God in your work, then you've probably maybe judged success based on your feelings. How did you feel about the work that you did? How do you feel in the the midst of trying to get your kids to go to bed without a struggle? How do you define success? I think most of us would define success based on numbers or feelings. And that's how we typically do it. Um, Well, in the book that we read, uh, Liberating Ministry from Success Success Syndrome, it was written by a pastor named Kent Hughes, and he shares his struggle with this question. Uh, Kent, from a young age, wanted to be a pastor, began preparing himself for the ministry, preached his first sermon at the age of 16. Uh, All the old ladies at church told him it was so good after he got done. He thought, yes, I'm going into the ministry. So he went to college, he ran a successful ministry in college, he went to seminary, he was a successful seminary student, he went to work for a church for 10 years, he built up a family ministry, and at the end of that time, they said, hey, we want to plant a new church. So his church sent him out with money and people and research, and their church was going to grow because they were going to do things right. And after six months of doing things right, they had not only grown, but they had shrank. He came home one day, he walked up the steps, and his wife knew as soon as she saw him that something was not right. They sat down on the couch, and he began to pour out his anger and his frustration and his depression to God. And and he says that in the midst of that, he realized, right, that or he thought that God had called him to do something that he could not do. And if God, if God had called him to do something he could not do, then God must not be good. Have you ever felt that way in the midst of trying to minister to someone or love them? That God had called you to do something you just couldn't do. And if you couldn't do it, but he wanted you to do it, then he must not be good. So that night they set out to read, to, to read the Bible and study and to redefine what success in the ministry meant. And they came up with seven characteristics of a successful ministry. If you're a note taker, I'll read these slowly, so you might want to write them down. It's a good book for pastors and for laymen to read. They said that success is faithfulness, serving, loving, believing, prayer, holiness, and having the right attitude. Faithfulness, serving, loving, believing, Prayer, holiness, and having the right attitude. I think that's a great list of a successful ministry. What I want to do this morning is I want to add one thing to it as we look at this passage. Um, I believe in this passage that Paul describes a successful ministry as dying. A successful success is Dying. So let's explore that together. I do really do want this to be encouraging and equipping, so don't get too down, all right? Hopefully, this is really encourages you, as I found, I found it encouraging all semester. So let's look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. We're going to start verse 7. Paul says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair Now, I think we would all describe the Apostle Paul as having a successful ministry. He was arguably the greatest church planner and the greatest theologian of all time. And yet, how does he describe his ministry? He describes it as death. He describes it as death. And he, the context gives us some description about what, uh, what death means to him. In verses 8 to 9, he says that they were afflicted perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. We know that he was beaten multiple times, that he was imprisoned, that he was rejected, and he was eventually killed for his faith in Jesus Christ. We know that he's not just talking about himself because he uses uh, the plural form here, we. He's saying it's not just him, it is the church, it is all those in his ministry, they're all experiencing affliction, perplexity, persecution, they're all being struck down, right? They're experiencing death in the ministry. Have you ever been given over to death in your ministry? Your ministry to your friends or family, have, have, how have you experienced it? What does it look like for you? We experience affliction when we minister to sick friends and family members, when we try to love depressed coworkers, when we pursue rebellious children. It's hard. It's suffering. Uh, we stand perplexed, right? When we carefully craft this ministry event or this family devotional that we think is going to be perfect and then nobody shows up. Or... We, we sit down to do that Christmas devotion and the kids just won't sit still. They keep talking. They keep interrupting. They just want to open the presents. And we're confused. We're like, why, Lord? I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Right? We experience persecution when we share our faith with a, a coworker or a friend and they never talk to us again. Or we feel struck down when our friends and family members leave the church or the faith or when we ourselves struggle with our own sin again and again and again. We experience the same sorts of trials and tribulations in our ministry that Paul experienced in his. We experienced death. But Paul says it's in the midst of that, that death, that success takes place. It's in the midst of our our brokenness and our suffering that God brings life to people. That people see Jesus through us. Look back at the text. Look what he says. For we who are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh, so death is at work in us, but life in you. What we experience is death. God uses it to bring life. God uses it to bring victory. There's a good illustration of this in the Old Testament. It's a story about a man named Gideon. It's in the book of Judges. If you never read the book of Judges, I highly recommend it. It is like an action comic novel. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy and incredible. But the, the pattern of Judges is that Israel rebels God sends a nation in to discipline them, to overtake them. God raises up a judge to defeat that nation. And the people cry, the people cry out. They repent. They defeat the, the nation is defeated, and they're saved. Well, um, Israel rebels. God brings the Midianites to, to capture them. They cry out. God raises up a deliverer that delivers a man named Gideon. Right, And so God uses Gideon to defeat the Midianites, but he does it in a very strange way. The first thing he does is he whittles down Gideon's army to 300 people versus thousands of Midianites. doesn't tell us how many, but it says that they, they're numbered like the locusts and that they've got many camels. Okay, That's an old school way of saying there's a whole lot of them. Way more than 300 people could take on. And the second thing he does is he sends them into battle Not with swords and chariots and bows and arrows, but with jars, torches, and trumpets. So Gideon leads his 300 men into battle. They take their torches, they put it in the jars, they have their trumpets. When they get everybody in position, Gideon blows his trumpet, he shatters his jar. All the men do likewise. They blow their trumpets. They shatter their jars. They shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. And what happens? The Midianites wake up. They grab their swords. They start fighting each other. They start killing each other. They're confused. They're chaotic. And the Israelites go in, and they're all defeated. The the Midianites are all defeated. Victory was given how? Not through strength, but through weakness. And what does Paul call us in the beginning of this passage, 2 Corinthians 4? He calls us jars of clay. Our bodies are the clay jars that God uses to share the gospel with others. And as we're broken, the light of the gospel shines through our cracks. It is not through our strength. It is not through our might. It's not through our wisdom that God does successful ministry. It's through our brokenness. It's through our weakness. It's through death. So what is a successful ministry? Successful ministry is dying. What does it do? We've already said, the good news of this passage is that God uses our death to bring life to others. Let's look back at the text. Verses ten through 11, 10 through 12. Always carry around in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Other people get to see Jesus through our sufferings. Other people experience the light and life of the gospel through our affliction. Our confusion, our perplexity, our being struck down, right? That's how they see Jesus. That's how they come in contact with him. We are the body of Christ. And as they see the body of Christ going through these things, but carrying Jesus around with us as we're united to him, then they see Jesus. The the gospel is embodied by us as we go out into the world, into dark places, and we carry the light of the gospel, right? Um, Most of you know, uh, maybe all of you, that uh, this semester, or last year, I guess, we had a student in our ministry named Brandon, okay? Brandon Canova, he was in our ministry, he was a part of this church, uh, and Brandon's life is a great testimony to how God used uh, our sufferings and our trials and tribulations to bring life to Brandon, Okay, we met Brandon on campus during Welcome Week. Uh, he, he met one of our leadership students who brought a dog to Welcome Week. God is so humble, he would use a dog to draw people to himself. Uh, Brandon loved dogs, so he came. He met Brenna through the dog. Uh, Brenna invited him to RUF. He didn't come, but she stayed in touch with him all that first semester. And during that first semester, Brandon really struggled. He struggled academically. Uh, he struggled socially. He had lots of he had mental health problems that he was struggling with. At the end of the first his first semester, uh, he was really struggling in class, and his only friend left. So the start of the second semester, he really had nobody. He really had nothing positive. Our student invites him to Ruf. He came to Ruf, and he loved it from the from the start. He immediately be coming to all of our events, coming to all of our Bible studies. He came to Grace, and he worshiped with us. And he was a big part of our ministry, but Brandon was. Hard to love, just like all of us. He had his sins, he had his peccadilloes, he had mental health issues. And uh, Chris and I spent hours and hours in the office praying for Brandon and talking about how we could love him and how we could minister to him. It was really hard. Um, And it was not a number grower. Brandon was not the guy who was bringing people to our ministry, but he was somebody that God brought to our ministry so we could love. Well, over the course of that spring, we saw Brandon transform. Uh, We saw him learn to um, speak to people in love. Uh, We saw his gifts of hospitality come out. We saw him repent and apologize to people. Um, We saw his life transformed. By the end of the semester, this kid who was lonely and struggling uh, was hosting Bible studies in his home and throwing parties with a group of people around him that loved him. He had a church family that loved him and knew him and cared for him. And then, as you probably know, three days after uh, his last RUF Bible study, he went home and he passed away. He died. Which was, which was very, very sad and very hard for us to go through as a ministry and hard for us to go through as a church. Uh, but now I look back on it and I, and I really see it as a severe mercy. Um, that the Lord, in his goodness and kindness... Um, transformed Brandon's life and, and sent him to heaven um, in full assurance that he was converted and a Christian and he's with Jesus and, and actually gave us in our ministry a picture of what it's like to love someone and to see them come to spiritual life and gave us as a church a picture of what it's like to love somebody um, and for it to feel like death but also bring life to them. And so I, I just want, hope to use that as an encouragement. To encourage you guys to continue to love others well the way you love Brandon. And it's to thank you guys for loving him well. God used our, uh, our suffering and our struggles in the ministry of Brandon to bring him life. Um, as, we, as you move towards the new year, I would, as we do, I would encourage us to think about where are the dark places in, in our world where we can bring the life of the gospel? Where we can carry Jesus. Let's start with our families. Where are the dark places in our families where we need Jesus? And when we move into those places, we bring Jesus with us. We bring light and life. Where are the dark places in our church? Where are the places with our death in our church where we need to go and bring the light of the gospel? Where are the places in our community where we see death? We go bring the light of the gospel what looks like death and failure and darkness to the world is actually a place where God is calling us to move into it because that's where God works. Uh, Dan Allender wrote a book on leadership called Leading with a Limp, and he said leaders are crazy people because leaders do what's counterintuitive, right? There's a fire, and what does everybody else do when they see a fire? They run from it. But what do leaders do when they see a fire? They run into it. Where there's death, God calls us to move into it. And as we move into it, we bring Jesus and we bring life. So a successful ministry brings life to others. But that's not the only good news. There's more good news, right? Not only does it bring life to others, but God uses our death to bring life to us. Look at verses 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transient, but the things that are seen are eternal. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying he can endure affliction, he can endure persecution, he can endure suffering. In part because he knows that even though his outer self is being wasting away, even though this hurts and it's painful and he's suffering, God is using it to renew him on the inside. He's using it to renew his soul. He's using it to prepare for him for heaven. And in some way, he is becoming more and more like Jesus through this suffering. How many of us have prayed for spiritual growth? How many of us have prayed to long for heaven more? To want to be with Jesus more? God is saying the answer to that prayer, the way to, one of the ways in which we're renewed, prepared for heaven is to go and do ministry, it is to suffer and struggle through what it looks like to love others the way Christ has loved us. Right? Um, the song that we sang here, uh, I Ask the Lord That I Might Grow, was written by John Newton. Uh, and the, the backstory behind the song is that John Newton and his good friend William Cowper, I believe that's how you say his name, they were gonna work on a hymnal together. They were friends. They were were fellow musicians. They wanted to work on this hymnal together. Well, partway through the project, uh, William Cowper developed a chronic illness that left him unable to finish the project and and incredible amounts of suffering. Um, But John Newton continued the project. He wanted to finish the project, right? And it was in the midst of that, his friend's suffering and him trying to finish the project that he wrote that song, I Asked the Lord That I Might Grow. He wanted to grow, The way the Lord grew him was not necessarily through warm and fuzzy feelings. It was through showing him the inner brokenness in his own heart. It was through taking him through darkness, through sin and suffering. But that's how the Lord answered his prayer. That's how the Lord changed him and transformed him. And that's how the Lord is changing and transforming us. I know that uh, the Lord transformed me through Brandon. Um, I'm a better... think, a better minister, a better Christian, a better husband, a better father, um, because I love, because I got to love Brandon Canova. Uh, One of the great things about my job is I get to teach students to do stuff. Uh, I got to taught Brandon, I got to teach Brandon how to overhand serve a volleyball. He couldn't do that, but we went to summer conference, and he wanted to try, and so we spent like 30 minutes overhand serving a volleyball together, and he learned how to do it. He was so proud that he could do that. I had to teach him how to repent how to read the Bible, how to pray. But Brandon taught me just as much as I taught him. He taught me hospitality. He taught me patience. He taught me kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. God used Brandon in my life to produce the fruit and the spirit in me. And God will use your ministry to your friends, to your family, to this city, to produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life, to transform you, to change you, to make you look more like Jesus. When we experience affliction, we can rejoice because we know that God is using our suffering to produce character. And that character produces hope. And that hope does not put us to shame because we know God's love has been poured into our hearts. When we experience confusion, we can ask God for wisdom. And he will give it because he wants us to be mature and complete, lacking nothing. When we experience persecution, we can rest in the fact that that persecution testifies that we're united to Christ. That he is ours and we are his. And when we're struck down, we know that we won't stay down because we know that Jesus was struck down. But he was exalted. In the midst of death, we begin to see Jesus as more beautiful and as more believable, and we're transformed from one glory to the next. God uses our death to bring us life. So how do we do it? If success is dying, and and it's through that dying that God brings life to others and life to us, then how do we do it? Because that's hard, right? We would all admit, like, yes, we're supposed to rejoice. Yes, we're supposed to count it. As, uh, as, as joyful, but it's hard. So how do we do it? We cling to Jesus in faith. And Jesus clings to us. Look back at the text. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what was written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us Will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that grace extends to more and more people. It may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Do you see what it says in the text? In verse 13, it's saying that the same uh, faith that we proclaim in the gospel, when we ask people to believe in the gospel, that's the faith that we believe. That's the faith that we hold on to in the midst of suffering that we believe in the goodness and the graciousness and the kindness of God in the midst of death. Right? When we cling to Jesus in faith, what actually looks like death becomes life to us. But it's not something we do in our own strength. One of the things I love about this passage is that look look at what it says here in verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Who is the he? The he is not us, the he is God. He raised the Lord Jesus. He will raise us up. He will bring us into God's presence. So we go from this death to life, from humiliation to exaltation, but again, it's not in our own strength. It's in the strength and power of God because we are united to Christ and Christ has gone through his life and death and resurrection, that in the midst of suffering, we know that we will also go through life and death and resurrection. Before the foundation of the world, God the Father ordained that we would suffer and that Jesus would suffer. He ordained the death that we experience But through the life of Jesus, he accomplished our salvation. He accomplished success in ministry. And the Holy Spirit applies that to us. Our life and our ministry is successful because Jesus' life and ministry was successful. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And we cling to Jesus. We cling to that hope in the midst of our suffering. And Jesus clings to us as well. Let me close with this. Um, This summer my family, we went to Salida, Colorado, to get away for vacation. And while we're in town, we decided one day we were going to go whitewater rafting in town, which means there's a little river that goes through town. You can rent tubes, and they have, you know, little rapids that you can ride. Uh, You can can jump in the tube and ride over. And so, you know, I don't know what the classification of rapids are, but I'm guessing these rapids are like zero point. Like, point, or like 0.5. Like they're like half a rapid on whatever the rapid scale is. I don't know. Scott White would probably know what it is. We'll talk to Scott after this. So we rented this two-person tube, and I'm taking all the kids over the rapids. Well, Emery gets in the rapid, in the tube with me, and we start going over the rapids, and she says, Daddy, can I hold your hand? I say, sure. It's scary, right? To a seven-year-old, a 0.5 scale rapid is like a 10 to her, right? So we're going down the river. I'm holding on to her hand as we get to the second sort of rapid. There are these high school, I'll be polite, high school guys who are swimming upstream in the rapid because that's what high school guys do. They're just salmon swimming upstream like all the time. And as they're swimming upstream, there's a canoeer like coming across the rapids, canoeing across the rapids. I don't know why, right? So Emory and I are coming in the tube over the rapid, As we get to the rapid, the canoe guy is trying to manage around these high school kids. He collides into us. We flip over backwards. And as we flip over backwards, I'm holding onto Emery's hand. I pull her in close to me like this, and we go down into the water. We're wearing life jackets, so naturally we come back up. But I have to hold her up with one hand, and I'm paddling with the other hand through these rapids. I'm trying to get to the eddy so I can get out of the water. Eventually, I get to the eddy. Eventually somebody brings the tube to us. We collect our breath. I throw her in the tube. We get going, we get going back down the rapids. And Emery looks at me and says, Hmm, that was fun. I had you the whole time. And I said, Yeah, Emery, you did. Damn. She was clinging to me, but I was clinging to her in the midst of of your ministry to your friends, to your family, to this church, to this city, know that you're clinging to Jesus, but he is clinging to you. And when there's death all around you, he will not let you perish. He will bring you to life. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this encouraging word. I pray that this would encourage us to do the hard thing which is to move towards others in love. I pray that we would move towards our spouses and our children in love. I pray that we'd move towards our coworkers and friends um, and in love. I pray that everywhere we go, when we see um, death and darkness and sin and suffering, that we would not run from it, but we'd move towards it, knowing in faith that you are with us and that you love us and that you'll use that to bring us life and to bring life to others. Lord, we can't do this on our own. We need your power and your strength to do it. So we pray that you would by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.